Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Finished a fun episode, the guest episode this week with our man, Stevie Johnson, Stefan Johansson. And so now it's time to get to your questiones. Fun little anniversary is here on Friday, the fourth year of our little podcast comes to uh, comes to a head, I think. How does that work? We started in 2016, so 16 to 17 is 1, 17 to 18 is 2, 18 to 19 is 3, 19 to 20. Yeah! All right, I got it. We're finishing our fourth year. So, fourth anniversary? Yeah? All right. So, hey, it's here. Other than that, it's been a busy week, somewhat surprisingly, uh, recording this on a Wednesday evening starting at 7.55, I think tomorrow, Thursday, provided I can get this done and post it ahead of time, I think we're going to be hearing some news from IndyCar about the return to racing plan kicking off at Texas. Uh, other quick little notes I can throw in before we get rolling with your Q&A. I think we might be hearing maybe this week, later in the week, from our friends in Canada. Uh, I have heard that those in the fine location of Ontario, uh, of which the Toronto IndyCar race is held, I'm hearing that there might be uh, some new news about various shelter-in-place plans, various travel allowances, non-allowances, adjustments to stages of returning to work, returning, returning to normal life, almost said returning and made up yet another new word on my unpolished turd of a show. Nonetheless, have heard that we might prepare ourselves for the Honda Indy Toronto event to maybe be a little bit in question based on some of the plans coming out on a governmental uh, level. So we got that. Uh, I've had some other interesting things. Maybe I can talk about in the future. Maybe I can't, but whoo, got a lot of phone calls this week and some of them. Yeah. You know, when you call saying, Hey, I read a piece of news and I was calling to see if you can share some information, offer a quote, give something, uh, would the boss be available for that? And within minutes, you get a call back, and the boss is just on the rev limiter. And you've never seen the boss on the rev limiter before. And it was like, wow, that was something to behold. Whew, it's been a fun one. It's also been a great week, too. Uh, I was looking at my phone logs from Monday and Tuesday, I think. Mostly Monday. Just putting together this iRacing look back on the past six weeks thing and ringing hinch and you know call for a specific thing for a specific story but when you're done you know 30 40 minutes later like i was really cool glad we took the time ring crazy willpower similar thing a lot of time ring everyone else that i spoke with just a lot of fun being able to not be in that crush of oh we just got home from the last race and we're flying out tomorrow for the next race I got to call a guy and get a quote, but in my mind, this is a three-minute phone call, and in their mind, it's a one-minute phone call, and boom, we're done and got to go. It's just been nice over the last however many weeks, knowing that 
whether they call me or I call them, just take some time and fellowship a bit and talk about life, the universe, and everything. So I will make an advanced prediction that when we do go back to racing, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss the ability to just kind of lay back, lay easy, and just pick up the phone and you don't even look at the clock on the wall. So it's been of the odd things to say during this pandemic. This has been an unexpectedly nice and welcome thing that you hope doesn't go away, but I'd be surprised if it actually sticks around knowing that at least for how the 2020 calendar might be, uh, it's probably going to be a little bit exhausting. Uh, Other than that, I feel like I'm forgetting to tell you two or three things I'd set aside that were really interesting, at least in my head. Um, Thanks again for those who helped with some sort of order or list of how to present Who the Hell Are You Season 2? So five of those went up this week. Next week on Monday, it'll be six more. The following Monday, it'll be five more. And then the last Friday, we'll have six to close out this series Not only close out season two, but uh, I think we're just going to be done after two because I don't know how many other people that are crazy interesting might want to do it and be the amount of people who are scared to do it now because they know some of the questions aren't totally vanilla, PC, and boring. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Uh, all kinds of fun. Other than that, we're just going to do our usual and say quadruple extra thank you to Cooper Tires. Toronto Motorsports, Justice Brothers, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Working on it right now. Going to have a little something to share and show and say thank you on Friday. And from that, I think we're going to put together some little gift packs. Uh, Truly just a fourth anniversary thank you, short burst giveaway mechanism. And once we get that figured out, we'll do it. And it's probably going to be some sort of think of your favorite Week in IndyCar episode uh, or maybe any other episode that we've posted here in the podcast and share it on social media and give us a really good reason why and what it is about that episode that resonated with you and share that on the good old book faces and tweeters and whatever and probably give you a little hashtag to use so I can track it and make it easy to look back at it. And I think good old myself and my pals at torontomotorsports.com going to grab probably the 12, 12 submissions we like the most and then send y'all some cool free anniversary goodies. So that's that. You know what the next that is? It is your questions. Oh, we got your questions. Going to start with our man, Jim Kaiser, the person who brings us haiku to the Week in IndyCar, right? Nobody else has haiku on their show. We do. Jim Kaiser says, Marshall's vacation was shorter than expected. He really loves us. Thank you, Jim. I do. I love you guys. I refer to you as family because I mean it. It feels like it. I did get a lot of you who gave me grief because I posted some podcasts last week. I got texts. I got emails and stuff on social media. Hey, you said you were taking the week off. Go away. I said I wasn't going to do my weekly shows. Didn't say I was going to do nothing, but I get the point. I actually have still been throttling back a bit this week, and I think I'm going to continue doing that as long as I can. First proper question goes to Gary Chin. It says, Eddie Gossage, B. 
being the president of Texas Motor Speedway, says he wouldn't run the Texas race without fans. He says he needs fans because there's no TV money from IndyCar. Do you think Roger Penske would work with him to ensure the race happens? Yes, I do. I know that there's been an amendment, an adjustment to the statewide return to life plan from Governor Abbott there in Texas, Gary, who has said 25% capacity at sporting venues would be possible. So provided that's the case, and I'm sure they seat people reasonable distance from one another, I think there would be the potential of a crowd at the 600-kilometer Texas race on June 6th. What I don't know is if that is something they will indeed do and plan on having 25% capacity, knowing that in theory you're probably going to anger a lot of folks who wanted to be there. That might be the number one question, Gary. Huh. How do you do that, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, this is having a, in theory... A huge line out the door at the restaurant saying, okay, we got enough food to feed every one out of four of you. Who wants to eat? Who's the hungriest? How do you prove that? Again, I don't know how you welcome in 25% crowd size and don't actually create more problems uh, than actually solve problems. So I don't know if they're going to try and do that. Or if, as I would do if I was Eddie Gossage, would say, no, we are truly going to run this without fans, but IndyCar does need to waive our sanction fee, and we're going to need to find some methods for us to generate income so we can add some money to our bottom line. Texas does not exist to be IndyCar's friend or anyone's friend. They're a business. They're there to make a profit, pay for things, feed themselves, have employees, do all kinds of things. They aren't a charity. So I do think Roger will indeed be working to try and incentivize things as much as possible. Does that mean there'd be some sort of contract extension for Texas? Does that mean in future years, sanction fee might be less? Again, I don't know. There's a lot of ways you might do that, Gary, of trying to take care of someone uh in manners that are agreeable to everybody. Uh, We know that Roger and his company has a lot of money, but if you know Roger, you know he doesn't come out of pocket just for the sake of it. He doesn't just spend money freely. There has to be business reasons and justifications and so on. So I would love to find out (laughs) a month from now, a year from now, whatever, what those conversations were like. Because with Eddie, who very good at what he does and roger who's very good at what he does man i I bet this this has been some fairly thrilling and dynamic phone calls and video conferencing to get this sucker figured out Uh, let's go to ryan terpstra the person i lovingly refer to as not the spirit animal of the show but the spirit vegetable he says, for MP, an actual question road america is currently slated before f1 gets back to work do you think mclaren would consider fielding a car for Lando Norris in that race. I imagine sponsors are looking for more exposure any way they can get it, and Lando's definitely a quarantine winner with the fans. Um, no. I would be gobsmacked if, hashtag gobsmacked, 
if Arrow McLaren SP trotted out a <laughs> trotted out a third car for what would be their second race as a new unit combined with McLaren personnel and SP personnel, new engineer or engineers, new drivers, uh, just all kinds of everything new. It would be the last thing I would recommend. Uh, going to three cars just because, no. Uh, what you would do in this case is say, we love you, Lando. You're awesome and amazing. We would love to have you uh, sometime in the future. And no, we're going to focus in on our full-time effort. We're going to try and make that as good as possible. And that's going to be our focus. Another quick thing to keep in mind. This is a team that was meant to start working together and learning how to do what they do as a new kind of blended family in March in terms of on-track racing, getting into the racing schedule and the grind. And this kind of flow, that is where you build a team. It's in the routine stuff. It's in the repetition. And it's, okay, I've seen you do this thing four times now and you've done it a different way every time and we need to tighten that up and this is the one way i need you to do it consistently you over here uh in this task that you do normally that should take 15 minutes uh it's been taking you about 30 and i've seen you do it multiple times and i'm not seeing that time come down so let's go through this step by step and find the areas where it's taking you longer than it should because once we get you down to that 15 minutes that's really going to help when we have a quick turnaround between race a and race b uh you over here etc 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 these are all the things that i don't want to use battle terminology but it's all that comes to mind but when you're in battle and in frequent battle you find efficiencies, you root out the idiosyncrasies, and you become better. All these things for this group that some know each other well, some are getting to know one another, by and large, most have just not been in battle with one another altogether. This is a disadvantage they have. If you look at a pick the other team, an Andretti, a Ganassi, a Penske, a whomever, that more or less same everybody as last year, yeah, they're probably getting a little bit cold, need to get warmed up and get into the flow, but they know that flow. This is a team that doesn't. So the one thing you wouldn't do if you really care about the team coming together and becoming its best is throw a significant variable in like, hey, in the second race back, we're going to trot out a third car for someone who's never raced an Indy car or seen the track. And uh, yeah, so... Love the idea, just no way in heck I would ever green like that, and I don't think most teams in the unique situation of this blended Aero McLaren SP outfit would say okay to. He also said, not questions, he says, because I've listened to a few Who the Hell Are You episodes today. Uh, you gave Robin Miller a correct answer on his choice of stake being well done, and then in all caps, Ryan says, what is wrong with you? Well... I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> I'm not a big steak fan, 
But when I have had steak and it's been medium or whatever, bloody or whatever, it's just disgusting. It's like chewing on, like, I know that the joke is a well-done steak is like chewing on boot leather. I, look, I'd rather have that because at least I can chew and digest the damn thing. Anytime I've had kind of a, anything less than that, it's been like gum and leather. So gummy, but just cannot possibly break it down and digest it. Uh, at least well done. Yeah, I know it's a little bit solid, but at least like it's been cooked to a point to where things can break down and my jaw isn't freaking exploding from having to chew for nine years. So, yeah, I don't know. What's wrong with you, Terpstra? I tell you. Also, he says left-handed is indeed the correct answer. Of course it is. Um, all right, we're going to continue the fun here. Lance Snyder. Lance, just a little quick aside. Really appreciate you and the fact that you always bring something fun. Uh, what was worse, the movie Driven or the last few laps of the iRace on Saturday? <sighs> it's always going to be Driven because the intent from the outset was to make something excellent. And whenever you have belief and intent throughout the entire process, start to finish, that excellence is what you are just absolutely pooping out into the world, and it turns out to be the worst. It's a comedy. Uh, I mean, that's always going to be the worst, man. We had something where folks intentionally turned something serious and dramatic on Saturday into a joke, but it was an intentional heel turn to use WWE terminology or wrestling, pro wrestling terminology. We had... A couple of baby faces in Simon Pagano and Santino Ferrucci turn heel with however many laps left in the race. Uh, so, yeah, I'd have to go with Driven. And we got a bunch of questions here on this iRace. And you know what? I'd normally be a little bit averse to getting into all of them. I'm going to try and get to as many as I can because, really... Uh, it took me a couple days to fully grasp it, but yeah, there are some major fouls committed here, uh, which if you read the whatever dumb thing that I wrote about lessons learned from the iRacing challenge, um, yeah, had a lot of that thought distilled into there, but I'll try and share some of what I can here and not make it sound like I'm just rereading what I've done wrote. Uh, let's go to how she going from Reddit. Hey, Marshall, in light of Santino's acts on Saturday, what is the best and safest way for IndyCar to cultivate and capitalize on his, quote, bad boy heel image? We've all seen how, whether you're cheering for or against these types, generate massive interest. So what are some ways to incorporate these types of characters into the culture? Uh, you got another part here I'll get to in a sec. Um, here's, the, here's the thing that befuddles me. How's she going? So Santino has a bad boy image, but he doesn't play the bad boy consistently. He plays the what me? Aw shucks guy. And so rather than embrace the bad boy, right? Hey, you don't like what I did on Saturday? Screw you. Hey, you think what I did in Europe at Silverstone in 2018, you don't like that? You don't know. You weren't there. Screw you. Shut up. 
who told you you could talk like i'm not saying that would necessarily be great but you want to talk about really cultivating a heel image that's how you do it we don't get that we get this soft punky i don't know it's just a game bro yeah so what can i say uh I've been out of the uh, the Santino Ferrucci um, game for a while. Uh, just doesn't mean I don't and won't cover him. If he's on pole, wins, does something remarkable, it's going to get reported on like any other driver with, you know, as I should, as I will. Just saying the, like, on a personal level, hashtag me personally, giving a crap about the guy and you know anything beyond just strictly professional reporting on him like any other driver like man that's cool um it just the actions last weekend just seemed to just push this to the point of like okay um you you just do you you have your career uh hopefully you have a good year hopefully things go well for you um you know, we'll see. I can tell you I've, I've had a lot of calls from a lot of people. And, I, you know, I'm not talking like buddies, just like race fans. But, like, yeah, people in the paddock. Real, real people in the paddock. People who own teams. People who drive cars. People who do a lot of things. Um, all in reaction to saturday's event and i'm sure that other reporters got the same call so again it's not unique to me but i can just tell you from the calls that i received and from somewhere you're like "Ooh, wow i didn't know this kind of made it that high uh you know you aren't someone i really would have thought would have watched or cared or would have just blown it off um yeah uh, i don't know if he really helped himself from a career standpoint uh, in ways that probably won't be spoken of just you know in the future finds a need to find another ride uh maybe the rumored two million a year that he brings in sponsorship if that's a little bit light are there teams that would have been more sympathetic to try and help before you know just saying uh, he's he's not made his career path easier uh, if he still has money coming in to offer and all those things, that obviously smooths, greases the wheels of justice. That's great. Seriously, who wouldn't love to have enough personal backing to go be an IndyCar driver? But if we're talking that gray area where someone's looking at you and then one or two others and y'all are bringing the same amount or someone might even have a little bit less, but man, there's just no questions of character or baggage or whatever yeah yeah so i'm a crazy big believer mr mrs how's she going of you make your life whatever it is and if you make mistakes you're trying to recover from them you try and earn a second chance who knows maybe a third chance i don't know how many chances you've should legitimately expect to earn and known the kid for a while a fan of his driving skills was a fan of his character and personality it might be something that i'll just leave others to enjoy um i just 
I fear that the benefit of the doubt might have passed here. And so hoping everything goes well for him and he has a great career and however many fans just love him. Bad boy, good boy, whatever. Uh, But man, if he were to find adversity in his career, we'll see how long people's memories happen to be. Because if they are long memories, uh, he might have done himself a disservice that goes well beyond uh, a very flippant and, and childish reaction on Saturday. Uh, other part here from How's She Going? Also, having rewatched Simon Pagano's feet, it's clear that his hands don't move and his engine never drops off. How does Penske handle shifting the blame to Lando without looking like they're taking the low road? Uh, I agree 100% with Simon Spotter that Lando's move in turn two is unacceptable. Uh, also mentions the ugly side of F1 elitism has come out again. How does IndyCar fight back? So another thing I'm out of is the Lando Simon first crash thing. Now this is just strictly admitting uh, minimal professional giving a fart. Uh, I know that when I wrote my air quote race report on Saturday, while I was kind of doing two other things and doing my best to keep up uh, from what it looked like to me, it looked like Lando hit Simon and things went downhill from there. I've been told by many folks who responded to the article uh, that I'm wrong. Lando hit nobody. It was Graham Rahal who moved that triggered something. It was a net code error. I've read something from Lando who thought it might have been a net code thing. Net code thing again. I I know that I've had many people say Marshall Pruitt, you are absolutely wrong in your assessment of what happened, and I will take that at face value. And having not gone back and looked at the video because I truly don't care enough about it to care. Um, I will accept that I got it 100% wrong. So that's, you know, raise my hand, my bad, you name it. If by chance I'm right, well, who cares? doesn't really matter. Um, and I say that because in my head, although I know that this is serious, I still struggle to try and apply the same level of reporting that I would normally do for a real race. So only so much time was I willing to invest in this. That comes back on me. That's not a like a ha-ha thing I just said. That's just me saying, look, that's what it was. Regardless of what happened, Simon was at fault. Lando was at fault. Graham was at fault. Who knows was at fault. Uh, the outcome there was clearly Simon Pagano had it in his mind that he was unfairly taken out. So if we strip away the actual fault Correctly or incorrectly, Simon Pagano had 100% belief he was taken out by Lando Norris. That's the thing we're pivoting off of. He then acted accordingly. I have it on pretty solid account that this was Simon's idea and Simon acted on this alone. Uh, There weren't other people in his ear telling him to do this or trying to help him do this. So, yeah. Um... There you go. I'm going to move on to another question here from Chapin17, sticking with the uh, Simon. says, it seems like Simon is good at a lot of things, but acting is not one of them. 
Uh, you know, just throwing here quickly. I consider Simon, you know, pretty good friend. You know, I've known each other for a good long while. Um, I mean, I, as I get older, these numbers jump in my head, but about like 25% of my life, which is, it's a pretty decent amount of time. Um, we've had some blowups in the past. We didn't talk for almost a year when I thought he, he thought I did something wrong and I just knew he was being a complete ass, but we reconciled whatever. Um, part of being friends with people is being honest. And, you know, I still haven't spoken with him about this. None of what I have said, am saying, have written or otherwise is anything other than what I'd tell him in person. So it's not like I'm talking out of turn here. You know, this is just colossally dumb. He's not a dumb person. Just the action he committed was dumb. Uh, so anyways, just want to share that because sometimes I get some direct messages or other things saying, oh, Pruitt, you're popping off and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if, people, if I bet they don't listen. But if they heard, you know, uh, you, you feel like you're saying stuff in a little safe zone. I'm like, no, trust me. <laughs> uh, I know that whatever I say here, positive or negative, usually makes its way back to someone. And I either have them reach out and say, screw you, thank you, whatever. Or, you know, look, man, it's all good. But point is, I'm just going to tell you what I think and be honest about it. So from Chapin 17, I love the note about acting not being one of Simon's finer skills. It says, I can't help but cringe at what he did, taking out one of the most popular drivers in F1 while 10,000 plus viewers were watching Lando on Twitch. It's probably the worst thing he could do. Then Zach Brown tweeting out that he was surprised by what Simon did. Just a horrible look for Simon, his sponsors in the series. You and Robin Miller had mentioned that Simon was being considered for a Aero Schmidt Peterson McLaren spam ride in 2021. Do you think the chances of that happening are still strong as they once were? Or am I overanalyzing something that happened in the virtual world? Um, great stuff here. Chapin 17. So the fact that it was Lando Norris, meaningless to me. I don't care who it is. If Simon Pagano did that to the slowest person, the most inept driver in the field who happened to be vying for the virtual win here, reaction would be the same. Such a it's a cheap shot is what it is. If we're talking boxing or MMA, it's like hitting someone after the bell or intentionally punching someone in the nuts when you hope the ref isn't looking, maybe. But then you forget, oh, well, it's not just the ref. It's like everybody, and it's televised, and it's an HD, and there's rewind, and everyone can see the low blow you just committed. Uh, so the Lando thing, meh. It wasn't great, right? Uh, Certainly Lando being as popular as he is in the esports world and just youth sports fans, F1 fans in general. You know, the kid's done a great job connecting with a lot of people through his passion for esports. So in an esports event, pulling a cheap shot on someone who's got a really big following and footprint in esports yeah, again, I know none of these things flash through Simon's head uh, beforehand, but you just look back at it and you go, dude, could you have seriously picked a worse person to do this to? So there's that. Uh, the Zach Brown part. Yes, we certainly did 
and have said that we know Simon is and has been high on their register of interest with Simon's mentor, dear friend, ally, you name it, Jill DeFerrin, uh, McLaren's sporting director, the person from McLaren, the top person from McLaren in charge of their side of the day-to-day in the IndyCar program. Yes, we absolutely know that Simon has been on there. We want you as soon as you're available uh, list. I have heard on super good account. Um, I'm a hundred percent confident in telling you, yes, Simon ruined his chances of going there. Period. Now that's today. <laughs> in early May of 2020, if he becomes a free agent and at the end of this season or next or whenever, and he is the top free agent available, which I think he would be one or two of, if again, depending on who might become free, he's going to be among the most coveted, right? Uh, and the Aero McLaren SP team has a vacancy. Do I really think... They're going to say, well, okay, champion, Indy 500 winner. No, we're going to pass because we're still thinking about a eSports, a low-rent eSports thing you did to our guy. Um, yeah, I would say future forecasting a bit here. By the time... A vacancy would be available and or Simon might be a free agent. A lot of time will have passed. A lot of things will have happened. A lot of races will have taken place. My guess is he will have won one or two of those races at minimum, will have celebrated. Uh, I think this thing, which is the biggest thing in the world, and oh my God, there's nothing else we can focus on, will be the footiest of footnotes when we get to that point in time. So, yeah. Today, if there was a vacancy and he was a free agent, I think McLaren would Arrow McLaren SP would absolutely pass. 6 months from now or whenever, no. <laughs> It'd be dumb. It would be harming the business and it would not be in their best interest. So, there's that. Uh, let's see one or two things more on the Simon aspect, uh, and then we're going to move on to some other esporty sports items. Joe Secchi, one hundred kind stuff you mentioned here about things at home. Thank you, by the way. Um, mentioned what happened in the last race was awful for the image of IndyCar. Um, says really honestly surprised in a very negative way by Simon. And this is why I like this that came in from Joe Secchi is it speaks to a lot of the reaction I've seen uh, of, whoa, I, I didn't know you were that guy or you had that inside you. Now, again, you know, does this mean Simon has just truly been a terrible person and he's been lying to us all along? No, it doesn't. He did something really dumb. Do we then say, oh, well, this truly ruins your entire personality? And uh, I would hope not. That would be unreasonable. But the, whoa, man, I thought I didn't think you were that guy. That's been something I've seen a lot of. So Joseki writes, I respected him as a person even more than as a driver. He says, and his actions really soured me on him. 
It wasn't even the, quote, intentionally taking out someone because your jealousy's faster and an F1 driver part that soured me, but the pathetic stunt he pulled by calling Lando and blatantly lying to him. Uh, that says a lot about him as a person outside of racing in the adrenaline-filled environment. Uh, that's not how the current 8500 winner should act. Um, let's see. Uh, Joseki also adds... I'd also like to spend a few words on Graham Rahal, who once again demonstrated he loves trashing anything remotely F1 related while also being, frankly, a pretty mediocre driver himself is really only getting any attention because his dad was a much better driver than he will ever dream of being. Okay, Uh, and there's a lot of other things you mentioned here. Uh, I'm just going to park this here, Joe Secchi. Um, I don't agree with you on Graham, but again, it doesn't matter what I believe. Everyone has their opinion and it's there you go. Um. And that's the driving part. Whatever he said about F1, I didn't read it. And again, I apologize. I don't care. Um, you know, uh, if Graham has negative things to say about F1, you know, cool, whatever. Uh, I don't really follow most people's social media that closely. The thing about Simon, and I don't know if this is real. Okay. I know that I've read that Lando believed it to be the case of Simon being jealous and not wanting an F1 driver to win this race. And again, I haven't truly done enough trying to scour everything Simon said or wrote or whatever uh, to see if he said these things or if that's just the impression that was given. I Again, I raised my hand. I don't know. It seems like that would be weird. Uh, a red mist. You took me out. I'm pissed at you. I'm going to get you back because I was pretty close to winning kind of thing like that. That's a very Simon thing. Um, the, Oh, I'm going to do this because I'm jealous of you because you're faster and you're F one. Like that seems a little bit abstract, uh, to be the real motive here. But again, I absolutely could be wrong. Um, the lying part. (laughs) Now that was the best. That's the thing that had me crying, laughing with Lando who pulled up the uh, Twitch feed, Simon's Twitch feed that just showed him blatantly, you know, I'm going to go take him out or whatever, like, ah, and then him just like bursting out laughing and calling him a liar. Like, that's the thing. Um, The action on track we know was low rent below everything that he, below every level we expect of him. But then the lying part, and then knowing that and watching the video of him kind of pretending to be hit and, oh, what happened? Oh, you know, like the acting and then the lying to Lando as well. And then Lando, again, having the footage to prove that the whole excuse he just gave was a lie. It's like, man, (sighs) this is a stepping on a virtual peepees, I would say. Super last thing on the Simon thing. I had a lot of folks ask, you know, is Roger Penske called him? Has he set him straight? Is there some kind of something happening? I don't know. I would be very surprised if some sort of communication was not held. What has surprised me, though, is the don't acknowledge it angle that has followed and it's not just extended to simon again i'm recording this wednesday night we're at 8 30 ish i maybe i've missed it but i haven't seen anything on social media 
from Simon or Santino saying, hey, you know what? I was a jerk. I was a, th- I'm sorry. Truly expect better from me. Um, if that was going to be said and expressed, it should have happened. Uh, to my knowledge, it has not. So, yeah. Um, I don't really understand this tact. And again, it's not like the guy committed murder. Okay. The guy didn't, again, it, again, let's understand the context of where this happened, how it happened. I just don't know if the, oh, we're just going to tell you to be silent and ride it out and wait till people forget. Like, yeah, okay. Uh, you're, you're having to trust or believe that enough people have short memories or just don't care or something. You, that, that involves a lot of faith that however many people are not going to look at Simon in the exact way, Joe Secchi, that you have mentioned of, oh, yeah, nah, that's not my guy anymore. Um, yeah, this one surprises me quite a bit. Uh, just to close, by the way, I said, P.S. to end this with some positivity. I'm happy to report I'm seeing my girlfriend today for the first time since March 9th, and I'm very happy about it. Joe Secchi, by the way, lives in Italy, which we know has just been... Oh, brutal, brutal uh, what they have gone through with the pandemic. I uh, said it's now 11 p.m. and I've seen my girlfriend and I'm the happiest I've been ever been in 45 days. Oh, man, that uh, that makes me super, super extra happy. Um, where else are we going to go here on iRacing uh, before we move on to non iRacing? Um you know, we're going to go back to our man, Ryan Terpstro's actually just got some comments here. And I like this because I think it sums a lot of things up. Don't agree with one item here, but we're going to read it anyways. So I've had a couple of different soapboxes outlined for the Indy iRacing event. Just going to rapid fire some points. One, boo, Simon Pagano. F1 fans will take any excuse to crap on the series. And this is a really good one you've given them. The reigning Indy 500 champ. Indy 500 winners on champions. They're winners of a race. Uh, the reigning Indy 500 winner took out Lennon Norris on purpose. Uh, two, Norris still doesn't know what he did was a bad move. Uh, this bothers me way more than it should. Three, cut Santino a little bit of slack in this one. What he did wasn't done with malice or even as a means to win. He thought it would be fun and entertaining. Feel free to continue to hold his other past mistakes against him all you, all you want, but this isn't anything like that. Now, it's, it's definitely not like that, but I would say... This is, I don't know, man. Here's the deal. Uh, the All right, give you the benefit of the doubt that you've become a better person and learned and so on and so forth and your judgment and such is improved. Yeah. I. How do you want to take this one? Because this door has now been opened to question, right? Oh, you did something stupid again. Now we now we kind of got to question the motivation here because, you know, you were acting really good and kind of cleaned yourself up and Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a fan and, you know, you're a wheel man on the oval. Great. Okay, cool. But oh, now given another judgment opportunity, you, you, I don't care virtual or not, you, while pilot, while doing your job of making racing car go in direction forward, posed with something and said, you know what? 
I can't win, so I'm just going to try and destroy the guy's race who is going to win. You know, I don't know if that's ha ha he he yuck yuck. Um, yeah, so maybe it was. Maybe he deserves to be cut slack. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Again, I'm always like, dude, just because I say it or think it doesn't mean it's right. I just know that, uh, hey, okay, this is yet another instance of you having options and choosing the wrong one that negatively affected someone else, right? It'd be one thing to say, hey, you've got options on what you do and how it impacts you and you alone, and you keep making the wrong one. Ah, cool. Here you go. You just invited someone else into your stupid decision-making. Um, I can just share with you, Ryan, having spoken with drivers in my article that I posted on Monday and others and team owners and, uh, seriously, a significant number of people who called me or I called them. Um, <coughs> dude is not going to be looked at in any more positive a light, I can tell you that, than he was uh, before this race took place. Um, yeah, again, he didn't help himself. I know you want him to be cut some slack, but what we have here is a bunch of people who make a living doing a job that is super dangerous. This one on Saturday wasn't dangerous. It's virtual. Totally get that. But the approach to it, the decision-making capabilities, the things that rationalize in one's mind at a very high rate of speed. These are all the things you're tapping into to do the job in the real world or virtual world. And when you already have some folks going, yeah, I don't know so much about this guy. Um, and then you do this again, even just eye racing, it does add another data point for those who stare at you with serious question marks and go, Ah, okay, here we go. All right, here's another one. Yet another reason to be concerned. Uh, that's real. <laughs> that's real. So, yeah. Number four, Stefan Wilson and Jerry Hildebrand both offered amazing and thoughtful perspectives on it. If you haven't seen them, you should read them. My brief summary was uh, that we'll lose some of the meetings. Steph is looking for a job, and this was an opportunity for him. It's tough to, enough to sell sponsors. This overall result doesn't help. Jarrah suggested that the series should treat the event the way they present the event. It was presented as a race, not as entertainment. He's hoping they learn for next time and hopes there is a next time. Steph is hoping for that as well. Also agreed. Scott McLaughlin and Connor Daly, Connor's with one N, by the way, Ryan, not two, uh, get straight A's for their virtual efforts. Really, all the drivers get some respect for me for taking the time to be part of this. Hopefully, they can come back in the offseason with some new ideas, and everyone who is there is someone who wants to be there for one reason or another. Amen to that. We are moving on to Mike Jablo, who says, Loved your detailed critique of the movie Driven. I've not seen the movie, and your story confirms my need not to do so. Mike, do not deny yourself this pleasure. <sighs> Monty Python could not script anything as funny as what they did. Um, so I'm wondering um, if you've seen and have thoughts about other IndyCar-related racing movies like Winning, The Big Wheel, or To Please a Lady. Uh, definitely haven't winning only seen it once. And this is how simple my brain can be. The main character's name, that being the delightful Mr. Paul Newman. I just got stuck there 
Frank Capua, C-A-P-U-A. Isn't that a dumb, like a weird thing to get stuck on? But when I saw that and heard it spoken in the movie, I just immediately kind of scrunched up my face like, huh? Frank Capua? Yeah? You know, this is supposed to celebrate and show these heroes and death-defying thrill seekers and so on and you know you're trying to come up with a name that fits this and frank capua uh it just it triggered something in my brain that was like oh i wonder if the rest of this is bad and i don't know if i ever really gave it a chance after that so we're talking about something that i watched once and only mike like 30 years ago (laughs) so i think it's overdue I think I'm overdue to watch that again. The Big Wheel and To Please a Lady I Have Not. Um, I am hoping, really hoping, to get a a very infrequent new podcast series going with a a dear friend of mine uh, who's actually in our season two of Who the Hell Are You? Um, Roughly titled, I Defy You to Finish the Movie, and then insert the name of the movie, uh, about the worst racing automotive whatever themed movies and so again i've already done driven this is just a podcast of the two of us watching so he and i've actually watched the first movie that we're meant to do and break down and i came up with the title i defy you to finish the movie dot 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 after needing four attempts no i shouldn't say attempts four individual sessions to get from start to finish because i just couldn't I'd be like, all right, I'm out. I cannot. And then two or three days later, I'm like, all right, let me see if I can get through some more of this. And I get like 20, 30. Oh, stop this. I can't. And so it took me four tries to get all the way through. So uh, I just figured it might be fun or funny for us to do. So I'm hoping we can get that recorded sometime soon. Um, but yeah, clearly need to watch some of the others that you've mentioned. Let's go to Sigdan, Sagiden, I don't know, C-G-Y-D-A-N. I should probably know how to pronounce that, but I can't pronunciate it good. Says, quite frankly, I'm over the iRacing thing. My question is about James Hinchcliffe. Given the shortened season we now face and the reduced opportunities to add to his schedule and show himself off, how do you feel about opportunities for him next year? Well... I don't know if there were any real serious chances for him to expand the season that he had outlined, the very shortened season with, I was about to say, Errol McLaren SP. What is wrong with me? That's no longer, that's where he no longer works. With Andretti Autosport. I, yeah, I just don't think that that was really going to change. What I would tell you is I've been very impressed with his sponsor, Genesis, and how engaged they've been for a first-time sponsor. They really seem fired up. Now, what we don't know is are they really fired up because they're viewing this as like, well, we're going to be a one-and-done. We're going to do these couple of races with Hinch and the Indy 500. Cool, then got what we want. We're out later. Or are they kind of feeling this a little bit and trying to, you know, jump in more so i think if james does his normal james thing which is leave sponsors feeling happy engaged just the center of his universe 
and he does a great job promoting them on and off the track as well, beyond just the meetings with them and uh, the the one to one type stuff. The guy, you know, look, he's driving for Andretti Autosport. You know, he's going to have a chance of winning the Indy Five Hundred. This somewhat recent Indy Five Hundred pole sitter is going to have a chance at winning the race. He's got a sponsor and sponsors that seem really stoked to be there. And this is just a perfect, perfect union, it seems like, for him to build off of. So, yeah, as for opportunities, would say that this guy's in a really good place and can only hope that things go well for him. Let's go to Sad Boys to Men, BBD, ABC. So there's a lot of indie drama and coronavirus speculation. So I'd like something else here. Can you tell us the story of the human side of Indy that we wouldn't know from the broadcasts or reporting? It says, I really enjoyed your story about the fella from Germany. That was good old Bernard Perkinsier. says, I do love the human aspect of these sports and would love to hear more, whether it's an underdog story, a story of some shady sponsor, a story of a driver overcoming untold odds. Anything would be welcome. Ooh, well, that's fun. What uh, what comes to mind here? You know, I've uh, been thinking of late of a few drivers kind of on the theme of why didn't it work out? And one of them, probably the greatest example that comes to mind is David Empringham. Uh, Canadian, English, Canadian compared to French Canadian. Few others from the late 80s, mid 90s, and such like David, who were champions in their junior open wheel series. Some of them might have made it to IndyCar a little bit. Many of them did not. And just had some questions about why. And so I actually want to dive into that. And I know, yet again, another podcast idea that will take five years to actually post. I apologize. Uh, But this is one of them. And David jumps out as someone in that category of having been in and around David, been in the Atlantic Series when he was kicking a lot of butt in his Moto Master-sponsored Ralt run by, why am I forgetting the name, BDJS, I think it was. I could be wrong, but um, just this beautiful Ralt RT40 where he was just a monster. Um, And then moving up to Indy Lights, directly behind Greg Moore, and won what I think the 95 and 96 championships, maybe, again, my brain's a little bit fuzzy, but this is someone who following directly on the heels of Greg Moore based on his success in junior open wheel, winning championships, multiple championships um, in the players tobacco system, sporting system. This is a guy who talent-wise should have followed right behind Greg and been in IndyCar. And so a little bit sad, but also just to use our Juan Montoyism, it is what it is. We had Greg, who was English-Canadian, English-speaking Canadian, English speaking Canadian 
driving in IndyCar for players and had a French-Canadian teammate. They already had their English-Canadian. And so David basically ran aground. And like a few others that come to mind from that era, Ken Marillo, Ken Johnson, uh, Scott Atchison, Dean Hall, these are guys who are champions at the Super V, Atlantic, Indy Lights level. And again, I think, you know, Scott Atchison got a little bit of a chance, but not much. You know, small, poor teams, career flamed out. Uh, Dean Hall, famously with Coin, that thing kind of flamed out. Um, Johnson and Morello, I, I don't remember if Johnson got a chance or not. But again, any, these are, you know, name the last couple of Indy Lights champions, uh, Indy Pro 2000 or Pro Mazda champions, where you're like, oh, boy. This kid has demonstrated he is going to the top. And in David's case, strictly because he was born in, call it the wrong portion of Canada, uh, was essentially disqualified. Uh, There was no opportunity for him. Had he been a French-Canadian, I'm fairly confident he would have become Greg's teammate, but did not. And from there, his career went in some interesting places, Uh, went to sports cars. And so he ended up making a pretty good career for himself, definitely under the radar. And that's the part that saddened me, sad boys to men, is that David, having watched him at the butt-kicking Atlantic and Indy Lights level where no one could deal with him, it really seemed like this was going to continue in the highest level here in North America. And that's the thing that I love and crave, which is seeing the finest talent performing where they belong. And so name the sport, name the thing that you like, where you go, oh, that's my favorite player. Well, imagine if they never got out of college ball and this amazing career that we've seen never happened. This is the David Ebringham story. I can't tell you if he was going to be a cart IndyCar champion or a uh, Indy Racing League champ or whatever. I mean, he definitely would have been going the the cart IndyCar route. But, you know, I can't tell you if he would have gone on to win those championships. But I know that he demonstrated enough talent to make me and others believe like, oh, yeah. This is the real deal. Never even got a chance. Not a single race. And so ended up doing sports cars, but not even top, like, you know, driving for big prototype factories or big GT factories. You know, a lot of it is kind of second tier there as well because, well, as we know, sports cars back then in particular, yeah, they – It's a very tribal thing. They weren't watching to see who the next IndyCar talent was on the Indy Light circuit. Um, You know, if you were like a big name IndyCar driver, sure, they would have given you a shot in a bigger car, but he never got there. So those big opportunities in sports cars never really opened up. And so I remember talking to David about this, uh, I don't know, five, seven years ago. And he said, yeah, you know, um, there were those things, but there's also some personal stuff, too. Uh, that I didn't get the best out of myself at some really important times in my career. He went through, as he told me, a really 
bitter, hard divorce, and it just took the life out of him. And maybe that reflected in his driving a bit. Now, again, not on the junior open wheel level, but the, you know, not too long after that level. And so, you know, maybe at times where we would have expected to see his best and earning the best opportunities, he wasn't in the right headspace and was going through enough strife at home to where he wasn't able to shine through when he needed to, to maybe open bigger and better doors. So maybe that's a story. David Empringham, look him up, Google the guy, find stories of whatever you can written about him. This guy, I mean it. Uh, we should be talking about him with reverie like we do of the Darios and the Paul Tracy's and the Montoya's and the Zanardi's and the Greg Moore's and the Adrian Fernandez's run on down the list. Tony Canons, all these monsters from late nineties cart, early, early two thousands cart. Uh, he should be right in there in the thick of them. Uh, again, if not a champion, really darn close, but did not happen. Well, that was a pretty significant fail on my part. I am picking the show back up here. What time is it? 8.25 p.m. on a Friday night. Mrs. Pruitt is actually taking a pre-dinner nap. Very well-deserved after a pretty rough couple of days for my lady. So, got a little window here to finish this that I haven't had. So, we're going to go to Kevin Kerner. Uh, it says MP after seeing some old races over the weeks, kept hearing on the broadcast that the drivers really didn't think much of the Vancouver track, at least not until it was reconfigured in the late 1990s. What are your recollections of the place? Okay. Well, I was very fortunate to be there, Kevin, for the inaugural Vancouver IndyCar race, um, and was there for not all, but I think the majority Oddly, I recall the opposite. I recall drivers were not super stoked in the late 90s kind of sort of final configuration in that the first configuration had a couple sections that were really a little bit more daunting. Things seemed to get a little bit slower, a lot more sharp turns in the uh, the era of track configuration you are mentioning. So I know that there were some sections that the drivers enjoyed, but um, I seem to recall the opposite being true. Uh, recollections of the place, absolutely loved it. Oh, boy, I love me some Vancouver. Gorgeous place to be, that's obvious. Good people, fun people. Um, let's see, what's a memory to share 96, I think, with Genoa Racing and our Indy Lights team. I think we'd been on the road for a while. And our team owner, Angelo Faro, was, well, A, is not only one of the finest human beings I've ever met, but just such an upstanding person and racer. We were not sitting on piles of money. Definitely tried to take good care of us, though. So what he would do is make sure that he wouldn't really try and go low on per diem. He'd try and give us enough daily money to be able to eat and live a little bit. And so he would share that around with the crew. He did a really beautiful job. And so I think, again, seemed to recall we had been on the road for a while. 
and get to Vancouver, and I believe I was pretty darn low. I had overspent on I don't know what, but uh, overspent on per diem and was just not making a lot back then in general, was pretty broke. And so I think Michael Cannon and I were out wandering around uh, might have been the Thursday of the event, so kind of setup day. And so we were out wandering around, and I seem to recall right across from our hotel, and maybe one or, you know, half a block down, was a comic book store. And as a kid, I absolutely loved comic books, truly loved comic books. Uh, going, I mean, way back, early 70s is the first one I remember. Uh, my mom took me somewhere in San Francisco. Uh, I think of what's what we would call today South of Market, and went into this little, what would have then been kind of equivalent of a Seven Eleven. wasn't a Seven Eleven, but I think we just they referred to as five and dimes. And while in there, there was this little kind of spinning magazine type rack. And at whatever height I was at four years old, uh, I remember just looking up. And spinning this around, it was all comic books, and found one, and again, I apologize if my timing is off if you know your comic books, but uh, saw an issue of Luke Cage, Power Man, and I was just enraptured. So, had to have it, mom bought it for me, and I don't know if I could even read it for, probably not, uh, but at least the pictures were just amazing. And so, anyways, after that, Really love comic books, um, X-Men, and this and that and the other. Um, so he and I, walking around, I'm 25-ish or so, see this comic book joint across the street. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't been to one of those in, you know, 15, however many years, forever. And so wandered over there. Cannon followed me. He was looking around. I guess found some fun stuff, and who knows. And I was short on cash. But I found they had like an entire box of Luke Cage comic books. It was, I think, Luke Cage and Iron Fist as well. And so I had like 20 bucks left, period. Not just for that day's per diem, but for the rest of the event before we got home. And so I forget how much they wanted for those. But it was like five. It was a box that ended up taking like three, maybe four like plastic kind of grocery store bags, filled those up with those, bought all of them just on this whim of childhood memory from 20 years earlier, wherever it was in San Francisco. And so Cannon had to lend me some money, I think, another 20 or so, whatever it was. But he, uh, yeah, that was just one of those fun things. And so, granted, Cannon and I did a lot of that. Like, hey, let's go wander around and find a record store and we'd spend our money on stuff or whatever. But this kind of fit the bill, but... Yeah, I mean, the track, love the track, love the people. It was hugely popular. That's another great thing about a lot of these races from the 90s, 80s and 90s with the Kart IndyCar series, whether I was working in Kart or the junior formulas that were on the, uh, you know, one of the supporting features during the event. Man, it's just great going to places where the grandstands are pretty darn packed and folks love being there and love that you're there. Uh, those are great memories. So 
between that and then just wandering around with Mike and finding fun stuff, and in this case, blowing my money on some comic books, and really not having any space in my luggage to put them, so I don't remember. They became a burden. I know it wasn't appreciated. I do recall that. Like, what is all this crap piled up in the engineering room and the transporter? Oh, sorry. Well, and so, and then I had to borrow money from Mike to actually eat for the rest of the event. So, yeah, love it, love it, love it. Uh, last question you had here. Also, what are some of your least favorite tracks you visited during your mechanic slash team management career? Um, a lot in the Indy Racing League. And that's not because the IRL is an easy punching bag. We know that. There's just a reason that it wasn't always super loved when it came to life. And until it started to get pretty good around 2003, 2004. Prior to that, it's just a lot of places that we went where you go, oh, another cookie cutter 1.5 mile oval where... There's no one in the grandstands. Hey, we're in Kansas. Oh, we're in Kentucky. We're in, I don't know, they all kind of look the same. And it's not that the tracks couldn't or wouldn't have been really interesting, but there was just a lot of these kind of cookie-cutter NASCAR one-and-a-half-milers that we went to. And maybe if the grandstands were pretty darn full, maybe I'd have a different recollection. But when you're going to places that don't feel really super interesting or extraordinary and you're doing it in front of a lot of really empty seats. eh, So, yeah, uh, that stands out a lot. I'm not saying every cart track that we went to was the best of all time. uh, But, yeah, by and large, cart didn't get a lot that was super, super wrong in that regard. Let's go to Robbie Berggren. says, hey, Marshall, we had a question about who is the best driver to never win an IndyCar race. My thoughts are it uh, would have been Robert Wickens and Roll Boisel. Roll had one year where he did top engineer, the right chassis, right engine. He finished fifth in the championship uh, while driving for an underfunded team. Also finished eighth in the championship in 88. Top non-Chevy in the uh, overall title quest. Could have won the Indy 500 in 93 if not for a mistake on pit lane. Also says... Uh, I'd put Jeff Brabham and Davy Jones as honorable mentions. Um, I know one or two others. I think our spirit vegetable, Ryan Terpstra, voted for Wiccans. Well, tell you, Raul's a really good choice here. Bit of a deep cut. And so I like that one quite a bit. Trying to think of some others that really jumped out as, man, they were good, but... For whatever reason, it didn't quite happen. Your mention of Jeff Brabham is probably where my mind was going to wander because he had some time, didn't have enough time to really, really develop uh, either in the right team or just the correct duration because we know how fearsome he was in that Nissan GTP car. And we know that it was a byproduct of his talent married with the right team the right resources and look at what they created so that is something that really does jump out to me i love that choice by the way i think it's it's absolutely spot on um trying to think of of who else really jumps out as crazy talent that maybe you know didn't 
get all the way there, but I thought should have. Um, who might we throw in here? I think Simona De Silvestro jumps out for sure. Uh, I know that it's not like she was close to winning multiple races. She definitely struck me, though, as someone who, in the right team, right duration, had enough time to build and develop in it that she would have won a race. I think probably the most famous one that comes to mind over the last couple of decades, uh, well, maybe two, two come to mind, but one for sure, and I worked with him twice, two different teams, uh, someone whose record, I mean, it actually became a bit of a thing, the guy who... What did he have? The most Indy Racing League starts, I believe, was uh, Davy's record there for a while without a win. Davy Hamilton. Uh, boy, uh, Davy should have won at least one race, if not more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have all the time in the world for Davy. I thought he was a, a, pretty, a pretty special guy. And uh, I hate the fact that his career ended the way that it did. I know that he continued after his big crash that he had with us at Texas at Sam with Sam Schmidt Motorsports. But, you know, the, his full-time career and frontline opportunities came to an end with that crash. Uh, but, yeah, he's definitely someone who, whether it was with Gallus, uh, Foyt, um, yeah, Davey should have had a win, and I hate the fact that he did as many races as he did, was one of the biggest names, really popular, sweetheart guy, byproduct of the Midwest, and had some good opportunities, but was never able to get there. I guess one other I'd throw in that's uh, modern-ish, it's Jerry Hildebrand. <sighs> Man. He's a friend. That That's not a secret. Separate from racing. Uh, dear friend, you know, having having seen him get into the wall coming out of turn four as a rookie in 2011 at the 500, man, that is that's something, right? You know, the guy who came that close and was never able to win Indy afterwards to avenge that loss, never able to win a race in IndyCar as well, uh, just for JR's spirit uh for just something inside of him i'd love somehow for him to win a race before he is done in indycar uh you guys might know i'm not not big on the deserve thing right i mean the guy's led a pretty amazing life done amazing things it's not as if he's owed much from anyone uh, i just say that knowing how close he came i would hate to see him live the rest of his life coming back to IndyCar events, being mentioned or referenced as the guy who not only lost Indy, but never won a race after. So that'd make me pretty happy if that were to happen. And then Robert Wickens, if his body will allow him to use arms and legs equally in an IndyCar, I am very confident that he will be a race winner. Not immediately. Uh, there's damage to overcome. 
there is a breaking of rhythm to overcome there is re-establishing himself as a hunter killer driver that the time off time away recovery frequent setbacks hurdles to overcome there's a lot of those things that conspire against immediate effectiveness so will he could he oh absolutely right away that would be a big surprise all right gonna jump through the last couple of questions here and then say goodbye for the week really sorry this took a lot longer to get posted um yeah this comes from our man duncan idaho 11 says mp civilization as we know it has come to an end and indycar is being used as a gladiatorial sport I'm guessing, Duncan, you might have watched the IndyCar iRacing Challenge finale. But to hell with the last weekend, and how could LED panels be better incorporated into the next-gen IndyCar? If gone forever, what will Miller sponsor the soapbox with next? It's very true. Robin Miller's LED panel depot. uh, They're not doing so well right now during the shutdown either, by the way, Duncan. Um... (laughs) Well, here's what I think needs to happen. I think I need to get IndyCar to give me some of the old dusty, junky LED panels so I can give those away to y'all. I've actually asked Jay Fry if I could have one, and he laughed and laughed it off. I don't know if it's because he didn't want me to have it or he just thought, no, there's no way this guy is that stupid. I'd love to have one Uh, just because... They were such an important part of my career. Again, for those who don't know the joke, it's which is it's real. Some of the most read items I've ever published have been about these stupid LED panels. I don't know why that we still uh, there are teams of scientists trying to figure this out. I don't know why the dumbest components ever attached to a modern indie car. Man, write a story about them. Traffic skyrockets. So, anyways, I just thought it'd be kind of funny to mount one, you know, to a something to a plaque and put it on the wall uh, and give it to myself as a gift. As you know, here is my source of inspiration. Uh, what's the next really stupid, silly thing you could write about that should never generate traffic but did? Look up on the wall at the LED panel, and boy, those ideas will come flying. Uh, let's go to Tire Puncture R1. It says, do Honda and Chevy pay IndyCar money to be part of the series? If so, does anyone know how much? Well, in terms of anyone, I'm absolutely sure some people do. Uh, I always wondered if they must pay a fee to be part of the series. Bonus question, anyone know how much does IndyCar cost each engine manufacturer per year? Um, okay. Does it cost them to participate in IndyCar? like IMSA does, where they charge manufacturers simply to be involved. I am unaware of that. I do know that there are marketing agreements that take place, event sponsorships that take place from both brands. I know that they are fairly intertwined. I do believe that there is some sort of fee related to the motors, uh, some, some sort of something I've forgotten. I know I wrote about it. Oh, seven years ago, eight years ago, and I've forgotten about it. But I do believe that there is some sort of engine-related 
something that gets paid to the series. I don't know if that money is used to help fund some of the staff or development or what. I don't know if it's still the case. I haven't asked, obviously, in a really long time. Know that money changes hands in just a general sense here, but I have never had a feeling that it's truly a, oh, well, if you don't pay us, then you can't be here. I think it's more of a financial commitment to the series. We will be there. We will make engines. We will support from a marketing standpoint. We will do all these things, and that is money, and we're committing it to your series, but I don't think we're really talking about, and it's all going straight into your pocket kind of deal. Um, as for what a season costs in engine manufacture, it's a hard number to come up with because there's no cap. Uh, they don't divulge it. I know that for sure. But uh, if you think of 24-ish full-time cars roughly split down the middle in terms of who does what, uh, who supports what, you know, almost or close to 50-50, I believe, Think of the teams paying $1.2 million per engine lease. Uh, We know and we've heard many times that each manufacturer subsidizes those leases. Something in the half million dollar per range. Uh, If you take the money that comes in, the money that goes back out, not sure what number you'd come up with, but it certainly would suggest uh, it's over $10 million a year. I know that with the aero kits, the manufacturer aero kits, there was definite talk that those were costing manufacturers more than $10 million a year in the first couple of years when they were really going nuts and spending themselves into oblivion. Uh, let's go to Side Slick 1024. I don't know if I've read one of your questions before, so thanks for sending it. Who says, hope you and your wife are doing well. Thank you. Because I've noticed that for the most part, people don't stand in the outside pit wall during races at Indianapolis anymore. Uh, that is very true. It says, based on a quick YouTube search, it looks like 2013 was the last year they had people in that section. While I personally think, okay, we've got a violation in your first question here. If you're going to use that phrase, it's got to be the official hashtag of the podcast hashtag me personally because while i personally again we're redundant here uh in, unless you're trying to say i impersonally which would be really bizarre um while hashtag me personally think it's a good move to quit having people out there essentially unprotected was there a specific incident that prompted this change or is it simply the series being proactive i think proactivity jumps out for sure i know that the start line crash i believe it was the 2015 indy grand prix which would be two years after what you said you noticed on youtube uh that big start line crash with those big manufacturer aero kits and the zillion pieces attached to everyone the huge crash with uh sebastian saavedra and who all else that showered uh pit lane and people standing in the trench with pieces and i forget i think there might have been a senator or a governor or someone from the state of indiana there as well who got peppered with things i don't know could have been a mayor whomever um that was definitely considered yeah 
bad. Uh, but I do recall a couple years before, and I don't remember exactly what year, uh, all of a sudden it was a no-go zone. And I know that from a photography standpoint, again, might have been 2012, 13, I don't know. Uh, was able allowed to go out there and shoot. And you might say, well, well what do you get out there? Well, actually, some pretty cool stuff of the cars coming at you at 200 and whatever miles an hour or going away at 220 or 30 into turn one and recall wandering out there shooting for like two or three minutes and having one of the pit techs come over IndyCar pit lane techs come over and say hey uh sorry but you gotta go and i'm like what do you mean so barnhart i guess is looking down from uh the pagoda yeah barnhart says you gotta go I'm like, oh, okay, and uh, said, could you ask him why? And apparently they decided that just people, period, could not go out there anymore while cars were live. So it makes sense to me. Uh, it's thrilling to be out there. It's scary. Anyone who says it wasn't is lying. Uh, is scary, but thrilling, and that's frankly a part of racing too, the thrill. And yeah. It's amazing, but you had to be crazy alert at all times because if someone was crashing, had a tire blow, suspension failure, anything, just during practice by themselves, yeah, uh, it's a bit like a cutting board <laughs> where the top half of your body or whatever is exposed, and yeah, here comes a Ginsu knife to turn you into two people, not one solid piece of human but two so yeah uh i don't have a real problem with it uh, it's a shame just because it was such a crazy thing where even while out there i just remember thinking more than once like can't believe they let us go out here this is crazy but yeah so there you go i don't know if i answered your question but i told you a story uh, we're gonna go to chris hoffman this is marshall it seems like most european tracks have names for each corner but we don't see that much in America. If you could name the corner at Indy, the corners at Indy, what would they be? Huh. Turn one would certainly be the rocket after Rick Mears. Turn two would be the Bourdais Flambe, based on my dear French fries. Flamey, oh boy, crazy crash that thankfully he recovered from. We know that he was in bad shape, but still, I'm a bit of a dick, and I love him, and I make fun of him doesn't make fun of me as often as he should but yeah the bordet flambe that would be turn two turn three oh boy what do we do in turn three i mean kind of my my baser sensibilities are coming out again um do we call turn three the hinch kebab we shouldn't but i just did uh, i really shouldn't have said that and i'm not going to edit it out this is my unpolished turd of a show so i'm gonna get a hate something from borday the mayor who doesn't listen to this he's got a amazing life and wife and all kinds of things but nonetheless if he were he would send me a very polite wtf actually he'd probably laugh but nonetheless yeah we'll go with uh turn three is hinch kebab what is turn four Oh, I mean, there, there's just a lot of options here. And I know these are kind of modern, but I'm just trying to think of, you know, is there an old-timey turn four thing that jumps out that we should mention? You know, we know the, uh, 
We know that a lot of exciting things have happened in the last 20 to 25 years. Uh, Goodyear's misery could be one. Our poor, poor man, Scott Goodyear, coming off of turn four, going for the finish line. Definitely has not been super kind to him. But, yeah, we don't want to do that. We love Scott. He, he's had a rough time of late, too. Um I want to call it, we could call it Kimball's Revenge. It's not as if Charlie's trying to get revenge on JR when he ended up crashing, but yeah. Uh, what else? Pato's Revenge? I mean, he just punted Erickson in a very virtual way. I'm not sure. Turn four might be the one where I need some help. I think I got the other three. The first one's good, turn one. The other two, very bad. I need help on the fourth, y'all. Uh, Nathan Wolfel. We really are down to just about it, says Marshall. I've noticed in some of the iRacing broadcasts that Simon Pagano is looking quite distinguished with his new beard. It got me wondering, what other IndyCar driver or drivers would you like to see rocking some new facial hair? (sighs) Takuma Sato looks like he could grow an impressive beard. Like he's already... You know, a man of stature. He looks like with a beard. I don't know if it'd have a little tiny bit of gray on it, but some sort of beard there. That just seems like it seems like he'd be just the best ever if that were indeed what we would get to see with him. I don't know why, by the way. I don't know why Takuma came to mind. Um, not Joseph Newgarden. I think that would be a skin beard. That would be disgusting. We don't want to do that. Um, I don't know if Alexander Rossi can grow one. Um, boy, uh, we're, we're this, this is an area that maybe there's a bit of a struggle, you know, there's the, uh, I just don't want to shave beard. We see guys with those, those aren't real beards. You know, that, that doesn't require work. That's a byproduct of laziness. Um, who, 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 who? Uh, I mean, granted, he's not racing anymore. Dario can grow a fine beard, so that's actually not a want to see. He actually does that already. There's got to be someone that would just we would look at and either fall over laughing or just admire. Could you see Colton Herta doing like a down to his belly button, uh, Sons of Anarchy style? Biker beard, not even. I don't even know beard. Uh, not a goatee. Maybe just the little chin guy that starts wide and tapers down into a fine point that you you know use styling gel in, so it's kind of a weapon. Um, I think Colton Herta. Yeah, that would be it. Could you imagine Colton and shaving his head, showing up for a race? Like maybe there's I don't know however much between the off season and the new season shows up for spring training with his head shaved and the super biker kind of needle point goatee type beard thing down to his belly button. That'd be the best thing ever. And maybe just for fun, have it in curlers. I don't know where I'm going here. It's probably because it's, you know, nine o'clock on a Friday night and I haven't eaten. So, yeah, uh, sorry, Nathan, 
Uh, I feel like I failed you here. Or maybe this is really on point and on brand for this show. I don't know. Ross Porter says, Marshall, last week's show, you mentioned the idea of switching races between night and days uh, from year to year. I've always thought a street course race at night, similar to F1 Singapore event, would make for a cool show. Never attended the events in person, but do you think a place like Long Beach or Detroit would already have most of the infrastructure in place, uh, such as adequate street lighting to host an event like this? Wow. I love the idea here, Ross. Don't know about adequate. Uh, We're talking tootling around in your Prius in, you know, on shoreline at Long Beach at 35 miles an hour or whatever the speed limit is. Yeah, your headlights plus the overhead lights make it perfectly fine to navigate. Being in a car capable of doing 200 miles an hour with no headlights, eh, not so much on the existing infrastructure. So it would certainly require renting and placing overhead the Musco, M-U-S-C-O, lights tend to be among the most popular. So there'd be money there for sure. I don't know what that would add to the event costs, but yes, I would love to see that. Granted, sound ordinances, running at night, city streets, area and such, I don't know. Maybe Detroit would be it since Belle Isle is A, an island, and B, not you know, again, a little bit farther away from people, nightlife. Um, Long Beach might be, I don't know, that might be a little bit harder since there are high-rise apartments and condos right there. But, yeah, I do love the idea. Uh, what do we have? We've got three to go. Joey the Priuses, after Tesla CEO Elon Musk went insane on Twitter over the weekend, it got me thinking, what if Roger Penske had a Twitter account? Would it be What would it be like? Retweeting dry business talk and stock news? Dealing with sponsors in the DMs? Joking around with willpower all day? Oh, Joey, it'd be the most boring thing ever. Uh, it'd, it'd probably be nice. Lots of congratulations to, name the driver, Fabian Coulthard for winning the pole at the Australian Supercars event and a lot of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, and then to your point, oh, yes, it would be Fox News all day long. It would be, uh, what else would it be? Um, Probably Bloomberg, Fox. CNBC you can tell that I don't watch a lot of financial TV but yeah you'd it'd be Fox news constantly stock stuff Wall Street Journal um, name major business trade mags uh, automotive news for sure um, yeah it'd be that constantly but not often so that's all you'd get. That would be the constant. It just wouldn't be super often. Roger, who I have a lot of love for, is a in-person experience. He is very well aware of who he is, his name, the fact that he has 9 trillion employees, the fact that his companies are publicly traded and worth a quadrillion dollars. He is extremely aware of who he is, where he is in societal business structure, and that 
what he says and how he says it publicly can influence all of those things in a positive or negative way. So that's why being on the phone with Roger and not interview, I'm recording this, but just conversation between the two of us or in person at the track or in his uh, kind of mobile organizational compound that goes to each circuit. Best guy in the world uh, lets his hair down, says what he thinks, like just a normal guy, awesome race fan and just the bar of excellence. But yeah, you turn on the camera, which is what Twitter is. You turn on the camera where everyone can see it and hear it and think it and parse it. Roger is extremely educated uh, about how to interact in those circumstances. So yeah, it'd suck. Uh, It'd probably be the one thing that would be considered a failure that the guy does. So yeah, I do like the idea though. Would you take over Will Powers' Twitter for a day, Roger? Because normally it's the drivers like, hey, our drivers going to take over the team's social media outlets. Got any questions or whatever? Kind of like, yeah, hey, you're only the 900th person to do that today. Um, what about Roger taking over Powers' account for a day? Oh, <laughs> but no one would know until like a year later. Wouldn't that be the best just out of nowhere, these really crazy random things start popping up. And hopefully, since it would be anonymous for a year, he'd just say the most outrageous things. Start some sort of feud with Pagano and New Garden. You know what, New Garden? I've always wanted to tell you this, and I've decided I'm going to tell it to the world first. You're slow, and you're not very smart. Just, just go. Just destroy And Will just has to live with it, not tell anyone, reveal that a year later. Wouldn't those be the most, like, retweeted, refound, re-researched tweets in IndyCar? I think so. That'd be fun. Uh, Ross Porter, you're back. Says, you're getting pretty close to Epo. Epo? Epo? Epo. Episode 1000, planning anything special. Maybe a Facebook live broadcast on location at a track for some communal turd unpolishing well i have thought it has occurred to me that 1000 isn't too far away uh i don't know when i'm gonna get to it i should mention um we're not too far away from five million downloads by the way so thank you there um have thought about it fleetingly ross I just need to make sure that I don't get there anytime soon. Hopefully it's next year at some point because it did occur to me today while driving with my wife that, hey, I can't wait to get back to the racetrack at some point in time here. It's not going to be at Texas, by the way. Um, You know, I don't know where, but yeah, I can't wait to do that and want to start holding live shows again because, boy, I've barely been to the racetrack for almost a year now. And then it occurred to me, yeah, actually, dummy, why are you not realizing this till now? Um, You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to have a gathering of people uh, all together to do this um, the way you kind of want to do it and have done it. And, you know, we've probably done 15 shows, I think, over the last two years, if not more. I don't know, whatever the count is. Oh, so social distancing 
Yeah, got to do it. And I know it would be cool and renegade or whatever to just do my own thing and not care. But no, I can't really do that. Like, it's not something to play with. So do I want to set up chairs for people to sit in that are distance at least six feet away from one another and then have people hire, I don't know, security to police social distancing because i'm sure if i don't um that police and or whomever will certainly come and find me or if i'm working with one of our show partners include them as well um yeah so just occurred to me sadly uh, well sadly in terms of i was looking forward to it but again like not being able to do this you know more important things in the world but it did just occur to me ross like oh man uh i don't know why i hadn't put two and two together but when indeed we go back to racing i don't think i don't know if i'm gonna be able to to do any live shows this year so would love to do something live broadcast facebook whatever on location at a track for communal turd unpolishing i guess we'll just have to see where we are with this pandemic what sort of social distancing guideline adjustments may or may not happen in the months ahead. And if it does become possible, I will absolutely want to do it, but I would not foresee having the time or money to organize something where we could do this while having to enforce social distancing. And the last item goes to Steve Grinstead. Hey, Steve says, thank you for all you do during this time. That's kind of you. If you need to take a month off, don't feel as if you're letting us down. Uh, Stay safe and keep Mrs. Pruitt safe and happy. Well, I love that. I appreciate that, Steve. Had a number of people say, hey, dude, take more time off. You don't have to post podcasts. I hear you. You guys do know that I got a couple partners who are involved. So think of them as sponsors who, just like race car team sponsors, want to see cars on track with their stuff being seen i mean i've haven't had that said to me from mine but i just always think in that way so uh, as a guy who used to run racing teams and find sponsorship for those teams uh i just apply the same mindset here so would love to take a month off i don't think my clients um would appreciate not having anything from me with words or whatever but i hear you steve so i am indeed i think as i mentioned earlier going to try and step back a little bit more shorter days possibly So we're going to get to this. You have to pick two drivers, two team members, two IndyCar officials or media to survive a zombie apocalypse. Who would be on your team? Oh, boy. (laughs) Two team members and two IndyCar officials or possibly media. Okay, so where do we go first? Who... I mean, my first thought, if I'm thinking officials, is Kevin Blanche, Rocket. Now, granted, that would not last super long. I would kill him or he would kill me. Uh, my, uh, my immediate thought went to Kevin because I'm positive he has a thousand guns, knows how to use them well. Uh, so it just... I envision him having a woodsy type arsenal, some sort of lair, maybe even a, a, 
doomsday prep kind of bunker. So I think he'd have all the good stuff, plus he would be finally attuned to using those items. Where I think things would get grumpy quickly, so cigarettes. Yeah, like the thing that makes me want to kind of go zombie is someone who's smoking in my presence, uh, and then someone who's constantly smoking in my presence. I always remove myself um, if they don't, so that's one thing you might notice if you see someone smoking you'll probably notice that i'm not there or there for very long so since kev enjoys his tobacco products frequently that might be a thing that makes us kind of turn on each other um yeah so there's that but i think he'd be a good guy to have he just really strikes me as like if you can get past the cigarette smoke although again do zombies pick up on you know burning tobacco if so yeah what what would kevin be like in an apocalypse with you know like nicorette patches i don't know he might be pretty grumpy he might want to kill me and eat me there'd be a lot to eat sadly uh yeah so i'm gonna go with kev as one uh who so that's that's the two team members all right uh who do i go with you know i'm gonna pull my buddy matt swan who's now, who was with Ganassi forever, but now he's with Shank. Matt, while really wiry, right, not not good eating. So first of all, I don't think the zombies would really be that interested. Uh, but wiry, not a big guy, but, you know, wiry, strong, you know, he handle himself. Super creative and inventive. He's the guy where, like, hey, we need you to make this thing out of chewing gum and a shoe he'd do it and it'd be awesome uh so we need swanee there for sure super inventive not a good meal so again probably survive oh and a smart ass like oh we'd just be cursing each other out the whole time but laughing that might might be bad though right steve like the zombies would hear us giggling and then we get eaten but yeah i'll still go with swanee um all right let's go for another official who would i go with on the official side. Oh, boy. I mean, I, I like the idea of Jay Fry. I think it might be Jay, right? Bigger guy, Burley. Um, we know he'd have a pretty good, constantly evolving five-year plan of how to survive the zombie apocalypse. So maybe, you know, that would be good. And then we need one final team member. Who is our? Who do we close out this list oh you said two drivers as well good lord i forgot those two uh but let's grab the crew member (sighs) wow there's there's a lot of people coming to mind here that's why i'm struggling to narrow i think i'm gonna go blair julian scott dixon's crew chief he is well first of all he's a kiwi so he's a very hardy person by birth uh, they automatically know everything about the outdoors. They're kind of born from, you know, elves and J.R. Tolkien. Um, and man, is that guy hyper-focused, like hyper-focused and task-oriented. Yeah, I know Jay would be there, and Jay's kind of a, you know, leader, but actually Blair, he'd be leading the whole troop. Um, and I'd actually trust we'd fully live. Uh, and he and Swan worked together for a while, so 
you know, he'd probably, I don't know if he'd be happy to have him back, but at least, again, there'd be some lighthearted stuff. Drivers, got to pick two drivers to survive the zombie apocalypse. You realize as well that uh, you chose, told me to select all these people. I inserted myself automatically. I don't know if that's just poor reading comprehension, Steve, or an ego, or just, yeah, or maybe I just kind of want to be there. I'm a fan of uh, The Walking Dead, so maybe the zombie apocalypse thing. You know, maybe I've thought about me being there. I might have a baseball bat with a little bit of barbed wire attached at the end. Two drivers. So notice that of everyone that I've picked so far, there's no sacrificial lamb. I think, I think this is, uh, sorry, one of the two drivers. You're probably going to be the one that we push out. Um, to get eaten as the distraction to buy us time to run away. Who, though? Who? 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 I feel like I'm uh, a member of the New Day right here. What? What's the strategy here, Steve? Is it a driver who maybe isn't super liked and folks would be like, yeah, that sucks, but, you know, meh, probably won't be missed. Is it someone who's a good talker uh, or entertaining? Uh, maybe? who could, I don't know, just distract the zombies for a long time before they ultimately got eaten, buying us even more getaway opportunities. Yeah, I'm not sure on the strategy here. Um, You know, size matters, right? Like Santino, right? I mean, he'd be my first pick as a sacrifice. Eat him, chew him up. But, eh, eh, not that much of a bite. So uh, there's probably a flaw there. He'd probably run quickly, too. You know, dart in between them, get through, something like that. Um, I I hate to say it, but it's because he would just be a really good, like a really hearty snack for them. Graham Rahal. Yeah, got to go with Graham. Um, he'd probably be really pissed at them as well um, for something. I don't know what. Or trying to get the zombies to, you know, upgrade something at his, perf- you know, it, maybe they were former car owners, and he, while getting eaten, he'd be offering them some sort of, you know, fifteen percent discount on new turbos on their whatever. Uh, so yeah, Graham, just because bigger guy, biggest guy in IndyCar. So yeah, it, it. Trust me, they would love to zero in on him, snack away for sure. Who's the final member, the driver we're going to bring along, but isn't? The sacrificial part. Someone who can contribute. Boy, again, I know size. We don't have the biggest traveling group here. I'm obviously the fattest and slowest. Um, Probably the second tallest. Jay would be the biggest, just physical, strong, healthy guy. Also tallest. So, you know, he might stand out a little bit. But um, I got to go with Zach Veach. uh, the, The undisputed outdoorsman of... The IndyCar paddock. This is a man who can hike tall mountains, do all kinds of things. A very outdoorsy, survival-minded guy. So, yeah, again, if we were to get caught after we'd kind of pushed Graham out to get chewed up and we got away, if we got caught by another herd, and I know I'm going down first. Zach's going to run away. Uh, Without a doubt, my man Matt is going to be not just running away, but uh, uh, Mr. Swanee is going to be laughing hysterically. He probably would have taped something on the back of me, I don't know, something, eat me, 
uh, and just be laughing hysterically. Jay, again, gets away for sure. Uh, Rocket as well, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's he starts puffing away just to piss me off, knowing, hey, if you're going to die, you, you know, you may as well just have the full experience of being pissed at not being fast enough to run away, plus having to smell cigarette smoke while I'm getting eaten with a eat me sign on the back. That's how I see this going down, Steve. Everybody, thank you for sending in questions this week. This was our four-year anniversary. Today actually is the end of our four-year anniversary. Uh, Really appreciate you. Really appreciative of what you give me and my wife every week with this fun, this uh, bit of brevity for me. She did just text me and say, hey, it's for dinner, dummy. I inserted the dummy. Uh, So I need to go take care of my lady. Thank you to you. Thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Our brothers at torontomotorsports.com, Derek Koska, pay him a visit. They have some really fun stuff you can buy to put on your body or stickers or memorabilia or just something fun. And finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA. Thanks again, and I'll speak to you next week.